Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Welcome the Travel Addict here, Malcolm Teasdale. Yes, that's my name. And yes, I am a travel addict, unfortunately. Today, I have a lady from this great state of Connecticut, Sharon Duquette. I think I pronounced it correctly. <laughs> Those are the ways of pronouncing it, but Duquette, I'm glad I pronounced that correctly, I think. Anyway, Sharon has a story to tell because she started traveling at a very young age, younger than most people would ever consider. So we're going to delve into that a little bit. And uh, without more to do, Sharon, are you there? I am. All right. Well, Welcome. Thank you for thank you for having me here today. It's a pleasure. All right. Now, Sharon, you've got a story to tell here. It intrigued me when you sent me uh, your profile. I know you're from uh, the great state of Connecticut, and it's probably a bit more chilly up there than it is where I am. I'm in Destin, Florida, but it's pouring with rain today. And it looks like nighttime here. I read your profile, and a long time ago, I don't know what year it was, but you stated that you became a travel addict, although it's difficult to know what the correct definition of one of those is, by the way. If you say became a travel addict, probably at the age of 16, the age of 16. Now, when I was 16, I was happily going to school. But at 16, you say you ran away from home. Now, that's a scary thing to do. So would you be comfortable in talking about that? why you ran away from home at 16. Yes. Um, and actually I wrote a book about it. So it's, uh, um, and, and that, that book came out uh, about a year ago called no rules. It's a memoir. And, um, I ran, there's a lot of reasons I ran away from home because I wanted to, um, I felt very suffocated in the world that I lived in. My parents were very, um, conservative and, um, not just conservative, but they were also um, sort of restrictive in terms of, you know, what I could do, what I couldn't do. So it was, um, it was a life. And, and, and on top of that, they believed that uh, girls did not need to go to college. They expected me to um, finish school and become a secretary. That would be a good job, a secretary or a typist or something to that effect. And um, all of that and, and live at home until I was married and had children, um, all of which to me just sounded like horrific. I just didn't want to do that. This was in the middle of uh, it was 1970, 1971. Um, the hippie movement had really flourished. And I wanted to go out there and um, live that life and, and be with those people and explore what was going on in that world. So. Um, I, I uh, convinced my older sister to go. She was 21. She had grown up the same way I had and hadn't done much either. So um, 
the two of us got together and um, my ex-boyfriend, uh, we convinced him to drive us because neither one of us had a driver's license. Uh, she bought a car for $50. We got in that car and we drove to California in the middle of January. So he drove, we rode um, to California. So that was my first uh, travel venture beyond a few miles west of the Hudson River. So. That's extraordinary. Now, it may seem like a ridiculous question. When you left home, yes. did you tell your parents or no. did you just leave one day? No, we, we, I snuck out of the house wearing like all the clothes that I was going to take with me. So, so you, you did tell your parents or not? Did not tell my parents. I pretended I was going to school. I got to school. I got a ride into Hartford where my sister was living. We got in the car and we drove away. Okay. Now, it obviously begs the question. So you didn't come home from school and your parents are waiting for you. You didn't turn up. So they're going to call the police and um, instigate a search for their missing daughter, right? So is that exactly what they did? Pretty much, except my mother did it much earlier than that because my mother was always kind of a suspicious person anyway. And she thought I was carrying too much in my bag of gym clothes with me. So um, I think she caught on probably a couple of hours after I had left. She called the school and discovered that I, well, they thought I was there because I had had the um, insight to go to my homeroom class and be checked in as though I was in school. So they didn't realize right away that I wasn't in school because according to the attendance, I was there. Um, but after a bit, they came to realize that indeed I was not at school. Um, and my mother called my father and who was at work. Um, and then they began the search there. But of course, we're talking about January of 1971. So police didn't have the kind of equipment and the internet and all of these kind of things that they have today. So it wasn't like, and they had no idea that there was a car, none of that. Um, so it was, uh, they actually, the police never actually found us. My parents tracked us down through um, someone we had contacted about three weeks after we got to California. And uh, that person said where they were. And the police rec the police uh, recommended to them that they, they not get us and bring us home because he said, if you do that next time, she may run again and you may not find her. So the best thing you can do is try to establish communication and yes. try to work it out that way. So that's what they ended up doing. So I stayed in California. You said your mother was suspicious, but didn't she sort of um, get concerned that you might do this anyway and sort of sit down with you and just have a little chit chat and discuss, you know, um, what you, where your head's at or did it just not happen? Um, that kind of thing didn't happen in my house. No. Okay. Now, <laughs> you, the story you've told, I've heard this before, by the way. So, yeah. yeah, something very similar where the parents expected their their daughter to grow up a specific kind of way, get a, a, a specific type of job and live their life the way they did. You know, And, of course, that causes rebellion sometimes, you know. Yes. So you bailed. And did you set your sights on California or that's pretty extreme because it is the opposite end of the country. Right. right. So what, what made you decide that? Well, my sister and I had 
you know, California, of course, when we were growing up in the 60s, you know, it was always on television. You know, you had the Beach Boys, you had, you know, Gidget out there surfing on the beaches, you had, you know, all, all of this kind of thing going on. And so um, that's where television came from. Um, so California was sort of the ultimate dream of uh, the place to be. Plus, all the hippies were there. Um, that was where, you know, in San Francisco and Los Angeles and all that. But we wanted to go to Los Angeles because San Francisco sounded kind of cold. Um, and we still had kind of this beachy Southern California fantasy going on. So that's where we ended up heading. I, I'm just curious. Did you go to Woodstock? I was too young for Woodstock. Woodstock okay, was yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. So I did not. But I did go to Watkins Glen, which happened in uh, 1973. It was big. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. You know, when we're that age, it, things will sort of impress us and, you know, something clicks on us. I kind of, we got to do that, but it's a hell of a long way. Now the journey out there, how long did it take you? Um, it was about five or six days uh, because he was the only one that drove and uh, we didn't have a license and it snowed most of the way um, until we got to um, like, pretty much all the way across country. Um, we, and, and, you know, so we stopped every night in motels and um, my sister paid for that. She had been working for a few years and she had money okay. saved. And when we got to um, Colorado and, and I became the navigator, which, um, because I loved maps. I've loved maps since I was five years old. Yeah. I would draw maps. I would make up maps. It was just a thing for me. I was obsessed mm -hmm. with maps. So, so I was following the maps and we were driving across Route 80 across country, which was, you know, pretty basic till we got to up there. And then um, I was looking at the map in Colorado and I said, well, you know, we got to head south now to Los Angeles. So we're going to take this Route 70. But as I'm looking at this map through the Rockies, I see that Route 70 is broken up into pieces where this piece is built, this piece is built. And lots of pieces are not built. And there's all these little windy roads that uh, where the pieces aren't built. And it's January and it's been snowing. And I'm thinking, I don't know if we should drive through the Rockies on this unfinished highway <laughs> in the middle of January. No, so I recommended idea, that yeah. we, we head south um, before we got to the Rockies into New Mexico. And that's what we did. Years later, when I went skiing and took Route 70, where they would often close the highway, even for snowstorms, I think to myself, wow. That was a very smart thing for me to realize at exactly. that time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you can't expect to travel all that way and for it to be incident-free. There was going to be something, right? Now, just where did you stay? Uh, did you just stay in um, – you just stopped somewhere, checked in like a motel or a, a yeah. roadside in somewhere along the way. And you didn't have yeah. many clothes with you. You just basically had the stuff on your back and some other small bag with you, and that was it, yeah. in the hope just to get to California and then think about Plan B. Right or not, Plan B. Yeah, but pretty much, yeah. What are you going to do next? Interesting. That's uh, fairly extreme, and it's funny in the seventies because I I came to this came back to the states in seventy eight with a buddy of mine, and what we did we got on a Greyhound bus. I think we started in Hartford, Connecticut, and we we got the Greyhound all the way across to the west side of the United States. Ended up in San Francisco, by the way, where we flew back, but that was the nearest thing. Obviously, we stayed slept on the Greyhound bus at times, you know, which was yeah. 
not exactly a five-star luxury hotel, but we did it. It was one thing. And it's quite a quite interesting uh, story that, okay, you got to California, but you did quite, once you got yourself established there, oh, did you actually, um, once you got to California, if it's Los Angeles or the Los Angeles air, area, yeah. did you actually uh, rent a place there or, or, or what? We did. Our first night there, we stayed at um, a Salvation Army. Yeah. Um, well, it was, no, we called the Salvation Army and they said, go to the YWCA. So we stayed yeah. at the YWCA in downtown Los Angeles. And the next morning we walked around the neighborhood, um, which wasn't the nicest neighborhood back then. Downtown mm-hmm. Los Angeles was no, no, no. kind of needy. And, um, uh, but we, you know, we saw a, a hippie walking around and we said, well, where do all the hippies live around here? And he said, well, you either go to Hollywood or you go to Venice. And so we got on a bus and we went through Hollywood and we said, nah, I don't know. And then the bus away, the rest of the way and ended up in Venice um, and got off the bus there and said, I guess this is the place. Let's look for an apartment. So, um, so first we walked around and then, you know, we met somebody that we started talking to and all this kind of thing. And he suggested this place that we could go where we might be able to find a place to stay for the night. And we did. And then the next day we went and rented an apartment. So. Okay. Well, there you go. So you're settling down yeah. and with the quest to do something more. So you're in California. It's where you wanted to be. And yeah. meanwhile, um, whether you had communication with your parents once you got there or not, who knows, but you're by yourself or you're, you're with your sister. Yeah. And then it appears that you were there for a while. You went on sort of a, an escapade, but you started to hitchhike. Right? Yeah. Well, we hit, The two of us hitchhiked quite a bit around the Los Angeles area and down to San Diego. And we tried to go to Tijuana, but they wouldn't let me get, leave the country. Fortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Good thing. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so we did quite a bit of hitchhiking there and then I ended up. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about the hitchhiking? Yeah. So like, okay. You went low sort of local area, but did you hitchhike yeah. in your travels? Like you went to Canada, were you hitchhiking in Canada as well. Yes, that was a year after. That was in 1972. Okay. So, you're in meanwhile, the I did go home. Then. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, so I ended up going home um, by the end of that summer and and rolling in school and doing my junior year of high school. And then um, at the end of that, um, I did quite a few hitchhiking trips um, through uh, 1972 during the summer, predominantly during the summer of 1972. Yep. Um, one, one of them was somebody that I knew from out in California had gone back to Chicago where he was from and he was able to get, um, tickets to a Rolling Stone concert, mm-hmm. which was a, the first time they had toured in men in like for, since they, since Altamont, it was the yeah. first time they come to the U S it was a huge deal. I mean, uh, just a huge deal. And they, um, and nobody could get tickets, but he got four tickets and said, you know, bring a friend, come to Chicago. Yep. So I found a friend who would hitchhike with me and we hitchhiked from Connecticut out to Chicago. So it was the first trip and that had some adventures along the way. Cause for me, a lot of what I find interesting about travel is the people you meet um, and, and the, and the activities that happen. And one of the things that makes hitchhiking so interesting is definitely the people that you get rides from. Um, sure. Yeah. Some characters. It's scary, isn't it? Today, probably. I mean, this is something you probably wouldn't do today. I would never today. Is it is it even illegal today? I don't know. I mean, 
I never see anyone who charges. It's almost, it's almost like Uber, though. You know, and now you pay the person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're okay. You're living in California, but you need yeah. money. So, what are you doing for money? Do you get get yourself a part time job or a job down there? Tried to get a job, couldn't get a job. My sister tried to get a job. She was able to collect unemployment. Um, so we lived off her unemployment because the cost of living was pretty low and we yeah. had very low expectations for um, what was necessary to live life. Um, so that's what we did okay. while we were there. But then during the winter, during when I went home after that, I did get a part-time job um, after school. So by the time I took off for the following summer, I did have money. Not a lot of money, but I had some money. So yeah. hitchhiking is something you wouldn't do today. Are you still in that sort of um, adventurous frame of mind? In a way, uh, it's different. I mean, it's I still like to um, explore a lot of places and and meet interesting people and and sort of do off the beaten track things, okay. um, but but not not where I put myself in danger. Like no, that. and that's it's scary, isn't it? It's you hear. You've heard horror stories about hitchhikers. Maybe it was safe back in the 70s. I don't know. I've never done it. I hitchhiked once, but that was a police car, believe it or not. My car (laughs) broke down. I was back back in England, actually. I had a long walk back home, and uh, I stuck my thumb out. A police car passed, picked me up, said, where are you going, sir? I said, I'm going home. And that was it. That's the only time. Would you do backpacking? Backpacking. Well, um as in walking as in walking yeah like if you there, there's a number of places you go to i probably wouldn't do that now i trekked and stuff like that but backpacking like if you're in england you might just get a backpack and trek between the villages of the countryside and just yeah. stop into a pub overnight a pub slash yeah. in overnight that's a real cool thing to do i just right yeah but yeah. Well, we actually when we took our children my husband and i when we took our children the first time to um uh, to Europe was in uh, 2003. Yeah. And um, our older son was 17 and the younger one was 12. Mm-hmm. We ended up taking backpacks with us and we took trains, um, but we did have places that we were staying. Yeah. We are sort of lined up that we were staying, but, but we, um, we went to Germany and we spent a, a week there and then we took the train down to Italy and we went to several places in Italy on the train and, and, you know, um, I was that's able to get them to carry the backpacks most of the time. <laughs> well, that's the way to go. I just travel around Italy, just get on a train. I mean, I remember going to, to Venice a few years ago, wanting to go to Florence and Rome, just get the train all the yeah. way through the country. And it's good service, run regular, reliable. And it actually beats going to an airport and waiting there. So it's, it's a good form of travel. Well, actually, all through Europe, to be honest with you, trains yeah. work. And yeah. uh, they're quite it. modern, not as fast as the ones that are in Asia, but they're, they're sort of uh, modern and it's a good way to, to get around. Okay, so I think the older you get, Sharon, the more inclined you are to be a creature of comfort. I, I probably, yeah, and uh, that won't change. There's nothing wrong with that. It's harder to carry that backpack too, you know. I mean, it gets oh, yeah. the back isn't as strong as it used to be. <laughs> My wife's a creature of comfort herself. So I sometimes go away on my own just to go to obscure places on the planet because I still can. I still have that adventurous spirit, but I don't well, camp. I won't say that directly. Uh, however, we're going away in June. We're going to the Turks and Caicos Islands, but we're going to take a backpack and fly over to a very small island of Salt Key and stay there. 
It's, there's very few people live there, but it's sort of a remote island. We just wanted to sort of have a taste of the life there. So yeah. Yeah, we're actually just going to take a backpack over there, and we've got a place to stay. It's like a guest house, and it's a cool thing to do. Maybe a shot for my wife's system when we get over there, but we'll just have to wait and see. It's it's a cool thing to do. But you've yeah. still got that adventurous spirit. However, yeah. we're getting older. Place of comfort seems to beckon us more. And um, you've been to about 20 countries in all. And we all have a bucket list. It's an overused term, I know. <laughs> I don't like using it, but yeah, people seem to understand that. Now, my yeah. bucket list is getting longer, not shorter, which <laughs> seems to be a problem. And uh, it, based on this current situation we're in or have been in, 2020 was, you know, it's a waste of time. i tell you why I, I'm in this frame of mind here. Because uh, we're a little bit older than most people who, who want to travel these days, um, when you lose a year, it's painful, Right. Very because it's so much time wasted, and I had so much stuff planned for last year and couldn't do. I'm yeah. planning this year, and we've been vaccinated, so uh, that that gives us more confidence to travel. What would be next on your list? Once once you get the, if you've got vaccinated, you know, probably in the, in the foreseeable future, if you haven't right now, right. where would you go next? If it's just yourself or yourself and your husband and uh, the kids. Yeah, well, the kids are grown up now and they have their own responsibilities and jobs sure. and that sort of thing. We're retired, so we're free to do what we want to oh, do. Oh, okay. I, right, yeah. <laughs> so, um, other than the writing, which I, I do spend time doing. But, you know, probably the first trip is going to be a bit of a – we haven't done – well, we've done a couple of local things um, mm-hmm. to, up to Vermont, up to New Hampshire, that kind of thing. Um, but our first trip out, out of the area, like possibly on an airplane, is um, I think – we might be going to um, the Southwest, the U.S. Southwest. I haven't really spent a lot of time there. I've driven through it. We've driven through it. We spent some time in Arizona. I have a friend who just moved back from Malaysia uh, and lives in in uh, Albuquerque now. So I'd like to start with visiting him and then exploring the area out there. That might be this fall. Um, beyond that, we're kind of playing things by ear. I have another friend who's in the process who who was all set to move to Spain last year oh, uh, and that got canceled. Um, and it's, but it didn't get canceled. It's on hold. She's still moving to Spain. Yep. So she's just waiting for when she can do that. Okay. Um, well, I'm just curious whereabouts in Spain. Um, she is moving to Valencia. Okay. Valencia. Very nice. Yeah. Yes. Uh, a couple of things. Okay. You go to the Southwest. So you'll be able to see the Grand Canyon if you haven't seen that before. Yeah. We've seen that, but yeah, some of the other, probably more obscure places. Okay. Well, excellent. Yeah. And uh, that's a good place to see. Now, yeah, there's a lot I want to see. My my good friend here in town, he's off to um, Yosemite Park. Um, he's staying in a lodge there. My interest in, in right now is to see more outside of the U.S. because there'll come a time when I just won't want to fly anymore or can't fly, whatever. So I'm trying really? to see as much overseas as possible. Then in my later years, I don't know if that's a correct term to use, but – once I get older, I'll be able to say, yeah, let's just get a plane over to Colorado and do that area, drive around, rent a car. So that's my train of thought here. Yeah. Well, for me, it's more a case of I'm, it's hard to really judge what's going on outside of the U.S. right now. In terms of yeah, exactly. Where you can travel to, where it's safe to travel to and all that sort of thing. So, um, so that's kind of what I'm doing here. So, mm. um, 
and then beyond that, I mean, there's so many places. I mean, I've, I've been to 20 countries, but I mean, there's just like half of Europe I haven't been to. Um, I'd like to go to Argentina. Um, that for that's, that's a very interesting country. Um, and then, you know, Spain, I'd like to explore all of Spain. I've been to Portugal, which was, which was a great country. Yeah. Great country. Um, now with Spain, um, your friends thinking of moving there now. I know uh, Spain was a, a big place to go for us Brits growing up. Me and my mates we used to call and go to Spain so we could just go to the pubs and bars at night, hang around on the beach all day. That's what it was like. So they're yeah. quite popular places to go to, like Loret de Mar, Benidorm, Malgrat de Mar, and uh, Torremolinos, all great places. But you get tired of it after a while. But I know quite a few Brits who have actually bought places friends i have i'm still close friends with them over in england I obviously don't see them as much as i want to is they bought places over in spain now yeah. uh a buddy of mine actually is um retired over there you know and he loves it and a friend of mine he was in a serious motor car accident last year very bad one and he had to go into rehab for six months in spain he's fully recovered and it struck me. I said, well, what was it like? He said, he said, Malcolm, he said, the, uh, which is important factor when you're thinking of moving uh, somewhere later on in life, the healthcare system is superb over there, yeah. which is very important. And right. he had every confidence that he would be taken care of and he was. So Spain has that reputation. Many countries do, by the way, uh, but Spain in particular. And it's a culturally rich country, but you don't live in you don't go and live in the uh, the touristy areas. But living sort of um, off the beaten track, so to speak, in Spain is a, is a great thing to do. So I fully understood that, or understand it today, and that's all, always been in back of my mind. If I move somewhere else, well, where would it be? Right. Would you consider that moving somewhere else outside of the U.S. or? Because you got your family here as well, so that may be a you know, bit of yeah, a- yeah. It's probably more with the family, um, and you know we have grandchildren and all that, and so moving makes it hard to see them and all that kind of thing. But one of the places we really liked was, um, uh, but yeah, there one place I absolutely loved, but probably couldn't afford to go move to is Switzerland. Um, we just the French side really, really loved the French side of Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was to me probably the most perfect country to live in, um, just in terms of everything that's there. Um, the uh, yeah, transportation system is phenomenal, um, and just you know it would be a very easy place to live. I think as you were getting older, yeah. it's up there as um, I, I study world indexes, and it's up there in the uh, quite high up in the world happiness index. There's a place yeah. you want to live, plus right. good healthcare. It's safe. And it's, it's, it's a place of beauty as well. Great scenery yeah. there as well. So I understand that. But it's also very, very expensive. Right, exactly. Yeah, you, so the, other place that we, the other place we liked a lot that was less expensive was um, southern France, like south southwestern France. Yeah. Um, down around, um, there's a town called Marcionin, which right. has a lot of British people there too. Yeah. Um, and that whole area. That whole region around there was really nice. Wine country and oysters and biking and just all the things that we love to do. Yep. So um, that was a great a great spot, and we really enjoyed that area. We really enjoyed the people living there. Mm-hmm. Um, we spent a week 
renting a place in a village, a very, very old village. And I discovered that that isn't where I would want to live (laughs) because you (laughs) open the window and basically 10 feet away is the other open window. Yeah. That would not work for me at all. Yeah. And and then, you know, you can really, it's like these people are sitting in your living room having a conversation. I mean, they're speaking French, so it seems a little more private, but still. (laughs) Well, guess what the neighbors are having for dinner tonight? Just watch them cook it. Yeah, you you don't want that. No, no, I I, got to get uh, away from it all. And uh, yeah, so So that that whole village (laughs) that live in a little French village kind of idea was like, no, scrap that. Scrap that, yeah. Yeah. Even if you go away, uh, like it's crossed my mind, go, go away for two or three months at a time would be something, you know. And yeah. I've toyed with I did just go to somewhere in Thailand for, for three months and just uh, enjoy it. It's culturally rich, very welcoming, is safe. Yeah. And so something like that. We'll have to see. I mean, we got yes. families and uh, it's not as if we're leaving forever by right. – you know, we're going to die overseas or anything like that, but it, there's still time to enjoy ourselves. Okay. This, so. this friend of mine who just came back from Malaysia actually moved there, I believe. Um, I think it might be something like 20 years ago or 15 years yep. ago. And he's, and he's gay and he, he went there with his partner um, and um, his partner's parents lived there and they were taking care of them as they were aging and so yep. forth. But, he went there. He originally for like the first five or seven years. He just loved Malaysia. It yeah. was like wonderful, et cetera, et cetera. He now hates Malaysia with an absolute passion. He couldn't. I wonder wait. why. Is he is living in quite Kuala Lumpur or where about whereabouts? Yeah. He was living in that area. Yeah. Um, just I think it just everything started to get to him. Uh, pollution from the other islands. Yeah. Is get really bad there where i mean you literally can't see oh, that was that's bad where you couldn't walk outside um the the chaos of how people park and what people do and i think as he was getting older it was getting harder and harder to deal with all of those things yeah. and um and it finally reached the point where you know they were basically just you know once his mother when, once his partner's mother died, that was like, okay, when she's gone, we're out of here. And that's was the only thing really keeping them there at that point. But they had the insight to buy a home in New Mexico before they lived. They left San Francisco, sold a house in San Francisco, yeah. which, you know, they could probably have sold for four times as much later. But, um, but they sold this house in San Francisco, bought a house in New Mexico so that they knew they could come back because yeah. he knew that otherwise they would never be able to afford to come back. Um, because they wouldn't have the money uh, after. Um. I just wonder whether it's something to do with the older we get, the more finicky we become. Now, I don't want to be accused of being what they say in England is a grumpy old git. I mean, a grumpy old man, the older I get. I want to be, I don't want to have that reputation. And I could call a few of my old English buddies that name, you know. I come more finicky and just, ah, I don't want to go there. Why would I want to go there? But yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed my time in Malaysia, good country. And I lived in Singapore for a while as well for two years, which was a quite special time. Um, so, But yeah, I think ultimately there could be no place like home and yeah. uh, just find a home somewhere. And that, that's a great thing to do. All right. Now, before we get on to your book, one other thing, you don't like the, the, uh, the tourist traps. I get that. 
you may be in the same frame as mine as me. The yeah. older I get, the less I want to be around people. Okay. So yeah. I go off into, I was camping in Mongolia two years ago in the wilderness there. Fabulous experience. So, you know, you're going to Southwest um, United States coming up, but you'll probably be out in the open somewhere. It's no, no throngs of tourists there at all. Right. So you're in the frame of well, mind. There are, but it depends on what time of year you go and what sites you go to and all that kind of stuff. But we're looking at maybe late October, early November. Oh, okay. So it sh- hopefully shouldn't be as bad. Um, but yeah, I, it does. It does get, uh, and we and actually, we go to Florida, um, you know, from Connecticut. Um, we, we've gone, we spent a month in Florida a couple of times. Whereabouts? So, Just curious. Um, the place we actually like a lot and go back to is Gulfport. I don't know. Whereabouts? You're in Florida, right? I'm in Destin. I'm on the, I've, I'm on the, the Panhandle face out. And this is a big tourist destination, by the way. So yeah. uh, Destin's halfway between Panama City and Pensacola. Oh, okay. But it's a, a tourist de- destination. The beach is excellent, by the way. It's, it's super duper. Um, yeah. So a lot of people come here and uh, rent homes. Yeah. Um, Gulfport is sort of this, it's this little, uh, it's, it's surrounded by St. Pete. It's yeah. near the beach, it's on the water, um, but it's kind of a little funky enclave of it's almost like a little mini miniature key west yeah um and it's colorful and it's interesting and just kind of kind of cool well next time uh, you go down there don't hitchhike right no, no hitchhike. <laughs> we bring our bikes because they got all the bike, great oh bikes. good lord okay you see still still in you all right hey sharon tell, tell us about your book i think it's called no rules right yeah. it yeah. sounds like a bill maha thing but no i uh tell me about your book um, okay, so the, the rules basically, um, it has kind of a double meaning because it starts out with um, kind of my rebellion against my parents' rules and it evolves to my discovering that really what's holding me back in life is the rules that are sort of laid out for at that time for women uh, and the expectations of what women will do and so forth and so on. So, um, and then you know, going against those rules. But it covers a period of, of four years, starting with when I ran away from home. Um, and then these other activities that occurred, um, including uh, in 1972, this trip across Canada yep. with my boyfriend at the time where we hitchhiked. I was originally going to take a train and um, ran out of money for that. And he said, well, hitchhike and camp and I had never camped in my life. So that was an adventure. And, uh, and at that time in 1972, you could just put a tent up on the side of the highway and no one cared. Um, and, or in the middle of town, we actually camped right in the middle of downtown Montreal behind a church with a bunch of other people who were camping behind this church. Um, so that was the kind of atmosphere that was going on that summer. It was quite an adventure. And, um, we met all kinds of interesting people. We spent a week in this one town in British Columbia that fell in love with, I fell in love. I wanted to go live there and just stay there the rest of my life. Uh, it's called Hope, British Columbia. Yeah. Um, it's the same, it's the same town where they later filmed uh, First Blood, the Ram- first Rambo. Oh, the movie. Rambo movie. Yeah. Yeah. Rambo yeah. Movie, yeah. yeah. And uh, 
yes, I recognized all those places like, whoa, wait a minute, there's the Hope Hotel. But anyway, <laughs> we, spent there, we spent a week there, um, had, you know, had a lot of interesting rides that I could probably talk about for two hours. But um, and uh, when we came back from there, we went back to where he was from in Ohio. Um, and then I ended up he was going off to college. I went back and finished high school. Um, and then after that, what I discovered as part of that journey was that I went to live close to nature. So I moved, I ended up moving to a uh, back to nature commune in upstate New York, um, not too far from Ithaca, mm-hmm. um, where we lived in yurts and where we, um, uh, and it was uh, the environment there was that, you know, men and women were equal and, and everybody did everything and that sort of thing. So, um, and that was a lot, there was a lot of time there where I was discovering how, um, you know, what had happened in my life had brought me to this point. And so, uh, and then you sort of document, it's a great thing to do is document everything. And yeah. my, my mother got me writing books a long time ago. Well, she brought the idea to say, Malcolm, do it. And I said, why? Yeah. He said, so you can read it later on in life. It's a cool yeah. thing. You got photographs and you got videos, but now you got words to read. Yeah. In your own words, you can read and pass it on to your kids. And uh, then now I've got your website up on the screen here, SharonDuquette.com. So people can find you there at the description of your book. And you said it's award-winning. What awards did the book um, win, by the way? Just curious. Yeah, there were, there were, well, it's won five finalist awards. Uh, four of them are on my website. I haven't put the fifth one up yet because it's still in the running for first place. So um, it's, um, but in memoir, one from the International um, international Book um okay i'm going to well, one is a reader's favorite one is international book association not association that's the wrong name international book fair i don't know okay well don't don't worry about it it's, it's, it'll be yeah, on but anyway it's, it's yeah it's finalist awards in, in each of these yeah. categories okay uh, in memoir and non-fiction in non-fiction um for women and uh three of them were from for memoir one of them the fifth one was um, from the Chanticleer Awards in for narrative nonfiction. Okay, so, well, excellent, excellent. And uh, did you did you self publish or did you get a publisher or literary agent involved? Uh, I actually went with a hybrid publisher, which is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's kind of a combination of self publishing and traditional publishing. Okay, um, the difference is. Okay, with self-publishing, I mean, it's similar to self-publishing in that the author finances the expenses of the publishing. Yeah. Um, but it's different because uh, it gives you all the distribution channels of traditional publishing. So, for example, my book uh, is in a number of libraries. Um, it can be distributed to bookstores anywhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, that kind of thing, which which self-published books aren't able to do. So. Yeah. Yeah, again, I, I got used to self-publishing. You know why? Because I could do it. Right. <laughs> and it, it's not a bad thing to do, but obviously the um, then there's the marketing aspect of it, which is uh, which is important as well. But well, well, good right. luck with that book. And um, yeah, it's a nice picture. Where's where's that picture from on the front? Oh, on your website there, you got a, a scene. California. Yeah. Yeah. Goes to California. Is it really okay? Oh uh, yeah. So will you go back to California again anytime soon? Um, I go fairly often, actually, because I have uh, one of my best friends moved out there. 
So um, I've been probably 10 times over the last 15 years. Um, but but not so much to Southern California, but I did go back to Southern California. Uh, my husband's cousin's nephew got married out there um, yep. to, a, um, to a, a woman whose family was from India. She was, she's American, mm-hmm. um, but their family is from India. So it was an Indian wedding, which I had always heard, you know, if you ever get an opportunity to go to an Indian wedding, yeah. these were, um, these were Orange County Indians. So they were, this was an Oh, ex- okay. Not, not Indians from India. Per se. Not, well, Indians from India originally, that's, that was yeah. their, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and a number of people did come, I think, um, a couple of hundred people came from India to go to this wedding. Oh yeah, yeah. They're quite flamboyant affairs, by the way. I've, I've yes. been, I, I've, I've been involved with, with one sort of indirectly, uh, but they are definitely right next, flamboyant. And, and after that, and it was right next. It was in Marina del Rey, which is right next to Venice, um, where I had lived. And then we rented an Airbnb in Venice for a week, mm-hmm. uh, and s- spent a lot of time around there, uh, mm-hmm. enjoying the scenery and you know sort of revisiting the past and all that sort of thing so that was that was pretty interesting pretty entertaining to do sometimes it's nice to go back and see the old places again isn't it Uh, you know but you can only do it so much it's like bouncing out it's a place i want to go to i've never seen before but i'd love to go back to such a sort of place just to relive small memories i know i hear you there's just too much stuff to do that's the problem it is is. yeah yeah anyway sharon um so any where are you on Instagram? If you want to tell anybody uh, where they can find you, I am. I'm at, yes, go ahead. Uh, Sharon.duquette on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook at Sharon Duquette Author on Facebook. Um, although most people tend to find my personal page, which is just Sharon Duquette, uh, but anyway, either one. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter, but I haven't really been doing a whole lot with Twitter lately twitter gets a bit it's a bit noisy yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way to, are you on linkedin by the way um i'm on linkedin as well okay, yes. yeah that's that's uh, probably still a sort of a, a safe communication uh, portal which yeah. isn't uh, noisy or a little, little bit lately but not too bad so people can find you the book sounds great and uh, it's worth reading because you know what you've done there's probably, you're not alone. There's probably a few people have sort of done things like you have, like leave home at 16, hitchhiked yeah. and just got out of town because of a, your upbringing or whatever it may be. And it's good to read. Um, it was so. actually it was actually used in two two college courses in Illinois um, this past mm-hmm. semester um, for, a, for a class in rhetoric and a class in gender studies. Interesting. Uh, and, the, and the students really enjoyed it uh, because to them it was such – they were just amazed at what life was like then because it's so different from what yeah. they experience now. Yeah, um, it's quite different. Isn't it? And it, 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 when we were growing up, my parents were World War II veterans and what they were living through at the time. I look back on those, that era and thought, well, we had a, a pandemic here and it really messed up our lives last year, but it doesn't even compare to what went on. Oh, when yeah. My parents were uh, in that era. But anyway, Sharon, thanks for joining thanks for me today. Been fun. You had a great story to tell. Best wishes to the future or in the future for you. Keep, don't start hitchhiking again, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but have, uh, you know, get your bucket list going, have some new adventures and uh, best of luck to you. Okay. Okay. You too. Thanks, Aaron. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, malcolmjteasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe. 